I, uh, it's been crazy. How's, how's the, uh, how's the retirement life treating you? Uh, it's good. I, uh, man, I bounced around so much from different jobs and stuff after I retired. I just had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> there was a point where, so once I retired, I, I went to tech school and got a certification in CNC machining. Oh, that's a pretty uh, good one to have. So yeah, it's, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. And it was, you know, how to, how to actually do the coding. So I learned how to code by hand, then use computers to learn how to code, how to do the 3d modeling, take that code and put it into the machine and operate the machine and make, you know, whatever part that you wanted to make. Um, and I, I think what happened is once I got out of school, I, I found some places that were hiring, of course, in Houston, there's a lot of oil and gas. Yeah. So, uh, found some places that were hiring, but I just couldn't get like a second interview because I didn't have the operator experience. Yeah. We'd love to hire you. You know? No experience. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, I think I, I think I knew that already. That's why I'm here talking to you. Yeah. So I, I did the same. I worked at a, uh, when I retired, man, it was, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, you're trying to figure out what you want to do, right? Yep. So you've got this resume, you've done all these great things. You can pretty much do anything. I could be in your talent acquisition. I can help you recruit. I can do all that. So I went and worked for a staffing agency and we actually did uh, warehouse, uh, manufacturing and logistics. So we worked CNC machinists, tried to get people hired. And that was the, uh, that was the deal. It was like those people, um, they never, uh, would hire people that had no experience. You know what I mean? And you're yeah. like, well, I understand that part, but at the end of the day, if you don't take someone on with no experience, then it's hard. But even the people that didn't have experience, it was always like, well, we'll take them on, but we're, we're not, you know, they didn't get much out. Like it just didn't, it didn't make sense. But that CNC machinist, man, that thing, if you have experience, it's a pretty good job to have. But yeah. again, a lot of the guys you're competing with are like 40 years old. They've done it for 20 years, you know? Yeah. It's not yeah. And there was, and there was, I think about that time, there was a lot of the oil and gas and the machinery places were kind of downsizing. Oh. And, and so you had all of these you know, machinists who had 20 plus years of experience out in the market competing with those same jobs. So, you know, it was a no brainer for those companies to go with somebody who, you know, has hands-on experience for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm again, I'm, uh, I know how to use my cell phone. I can dial phone <laughs> number and I can send a text message. I, uh, I know how to look at different apps and know how to do that stuff. But when it comes to all that advanced technology stuff, like I'm not there, but any, anytime I'd ever see these guys, uh, working with a CNC machine and I'm not familiar, I don't know how hard it is to use. I know that there's a lot of like technology to it, programming, getting measurements, right. Making sure that you input it into the system correctly. But when every time I see stuff like that, I'm like, well, isn't it? And I might be wrong, but isn't it as simple as I know what the measurements are for what you need. There's boxes in this program where I put that, push the button, the machine makes it. So you probably 
can be creative with it, but is it really like in your opinion, do you really have to have 20 years experience to go in and do well at that job? No. So Most I was always like, man. Yeah, I would say most companies have separated the programmer and the operator into two separate positions. So you have your programmer who's sitting in front of the laptop or the computer, designing the parts, making the program. They download it to a little thumb drive, flash drive, bring it out to the CNC machine, plug it in. The operator then loads you know, program one, two, three, puts the material in the thing and hits go. Oh, so the you hardest know, part of that, I think, is like the manual part of putting the material into the machine, right? Because like, it depends. Like I went to some warehouses when we were working and those machines are massive. Yeah. <laughs> some of them had to have indoor crane lifts to be able to pick up the metal parts to put into the CNC machine. To, like, a, a lot of... Uh, it was a lot of oil and gas, but it was like uh, pipe fitting. Like they yeah. had the big, the uh, the couplings that had the big, huge like bolt holes in it where you had to like, that's the stuff they were machining out so they could connect the oil and gas pipes. Yeah. Uh, but they were always like, I think the biggest thing they told us is like there's different types, right? It's like you have a BMW for a CNC machine and you've got like a Ford. And everybody was looking for like that, that Mercedes version that was like the newer program version that people would have to do. Yeah. And a lot of times those older guys that were used to the older system, like they were like, I'm not learning how to do that. I'm not doing it. I guess because it was too complicated or something. Yeah. It's just crazy to see like coming out of being in the military, you know what I mean? Like I did, did a lot of stuff. We did a lot of stuff and like you come out, you want to go in a different direction. You want to do something different. Yeah. But then at the same time, I always like when I was on that search, so I wanted to do leadership and development. I wanted to do like a training gig, right? Cause that's what I did towards the end. And uh, noticed that despite, well, we were chiefs for 15 years, maybe a long time. Yeah. Despite all that leadership experience, the corporate world was like, yeah, that's cool. But we don't know how that translates here. <laughs> what are you talking about? How do you not? So I was like, well, recruiting it is. And then, you know, I'm like you, man, I didn't know what to do. I got fed up finally and bet on myself. Yeah. So it's, it's a crazy rack, dude, but yeah. yeah. So David Blade, man, you, uh, you've, you've done a lot though, right? There's, there's a ton that you've done since retirement. That's why I'm, I'm glad that, we get to talk about it. It's been a, a long time since we talked. Uh, do you remember, do you remember where we first crossed paths in the Navy? Do you remember? Uh, you know, I was actually trying to think back where it was. Uh, Cause it wasn't in Houston. It, it, it was not in Houston. No. It was when we were super, super green, brand new career recruiters. We went to the Academy together, dude. We did. Yep. That's right. Academy. That's where we're at. I was trying to remember, was it Noru or was it recruiting school or was it, uh, the Academy? And then I was like, oh, it's definitely the Academy. So in there learning how to be the best yep. recruiter ever and then moving on. But yeah, that was the first time. And then it, it was funny to meet up 
in Houston all those years later. Yeah. And then, you know, a person like me, I'm not the best person at reaching out and stay in touch with everybody, right? Oh, no. (laughs) I'm not awesome at that. I am not. What I do like to do, though, is I do like to check in with people just to say, hey, what's going on? How are you doing? And I, I found in retirement, I'm a little more uh, aware of just checking in. Not mm-hmm. necessarily, I never really hung out a lot anyway. I wasn't a hangout guy. I'm still yeah. kind of not a hangout guy. But yeah, I'm yeah. still like, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Because I found in retirement, like, find out what people are doing. And if there's any way to help, and what they're doing, then like, that's, that's the role, man. Like it, you, you can't, you can't succeed unless you got a team on your side. Right. Yeah. We learned that for a long time, but I think some people forget about it once they transition out, you know, and that's why I like the fraternity we came from. I mean, I don't know what, two or three times in the last couple of years I've talked to you, right. Mm-hmm. Hasn't been forever, but I know that you're off doing like a new thing that that is like your new role of what you're trying to build, which we're going to talk a little bit about, like what got you into that. But I know that I can help you there because I directly correlate to that. So it's it's that whole mantra of, you know, veterans helping veterans and helping each other succeed. And I think that uh, it's important to look at the charities. It's important to look at all of the the resources like Wounded Warrior Project and all those things where you can give back there. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I'm more, I'm not focused on it, but I'm more trying to help people I know that are trying to build something that's like their livelihood, you know what I mean? Yeah. Versus yeah. let's just look at how to, um, how can I donate more to give more resources? I'd rather help directly. And that's what, that's, that's the reason for talking today. Let's help directly, you know? So. It's good stuff. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good philosophy to have. Good way to live your life. Yeah, man. So let's uh, let's let's unpack a little bit. So let's go. So after retirement, you did the CNC thing. Is there anything else that you did along the journey before you got to where you're at now? Uh, yeah, quite a few actually. <laughs> uh, so CNC went to school, did some job hunting. Um, during that job hunting process, there was a brand new indoor rock climbing gym that opened up in Katy, Texas and um, started going there just as a member just to go and work out and rock climb and do something that was fun with my with my buds and found out that they were hiring and I hadn't hadn't got a CNC job yet so I was still searching so I was like yeah I'll do this part-time while while I'm looking for you know what I went to school for yeah ended up staying there full time for probably just over a couple years. So I just started working the front desk, you know, customer relations, getting people checked in, you know, hooked up to the ropes and, and letting them go all the way to teaching the youth programs and the kids who wanted to come, you know, I was there multiple nights a week with the, you know, kids come and do their club and teaching adults how to lead climb, um, all while, climbing myself and, and learning that sport. Um, and it was needless to say you love climbing. I did. I did. I, I kind of faded away from it a little bit, but it was, uh, it was really cool to see it in the Olympics this year as, as a, you know, the first time 
sport climbing was really neat. Yeah. Um, from there, I got an offer to go back to the school that I went to for CNC and work in college admissions. So right back to recruiting <laughs> and, and I was like, you know, I, I'm going to give it a shot. I'll give it a fair evaluation. It's not the military. It's not Navy recruiting. So let's see how it goes. Um, went there and I worked for two months and found out that now this is not what I want to do at all. So how do you feel like, okay, so Navy recruiting, right? You and I came up in Navy recruiting at a time. Uh, if I remember correctly, and I'm pretty sure I do. So the time we came into recruiting duty and we went to be a career recruiter was right about the time that they figured out and decided that real big downsize we did a couple years ago. Yeah, that was dumb. We need a yeah. lot of people. <laughs> so like the, the pressure and the stress was on. So like our indoctrination into this whole, it's, it's amazing. We decided to do it for a career. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of times I'm like, I, I willfully decided to be stressed out every day Yep. because they needed so many people because they downsized, they downsized so much that, you know, not that, you know, the American military wasn't like weak by any stretch of the imagination, but they knew we needed people because like you can't run a ship with a skeleton crew in the Navy. Right. And so it was like stress and pressure, 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 pressure all the time. Yeah. Working hours weren't great. No. The leadership that we experienced in that part of the Navy was not great. People selfish for themselves. And, you know, it, it was really weird to decide I wanted, and I don't know how you feel about it. It was really weird to decide that I wanted to excel and be a part of something that I saw people that gave me an example every day of how not to lead people. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to stay here and do this. Right? <laughs> it was just different. Like the, it, you know, it's, it's not the same, but the school of hard knocks, right? You came up in a really difficult time in recruiting where six days a week and then, oh yeah, by the way, you got to take people to the hotel to ship out to boot camp on Sunday. So now you're working seven days a week. Uh, my kids got a doctor's appointment. Well, don't you have a wife? She can take them. You know, I, I need to go to the doctor. Yeah, but is it sticking out of your body? Now you're good. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Crazy. You put up with a lot of crazy stuff. It was, it was, it's amazing that you decide to do that. So how do you feel not, and then fast forwarding it, it got better. It's better now, I think, than it, it has been before, especially with the new model that they have. There's not as much pressure. So a lot of people don't feel... What's crazy is people still walk around and say they feel pressured. You know, we're those old guys who would walk around and be like, you don't even know what pressure is. Yeah. You don't <laughs> yeah. know what it's like, right? It's different because they got to find, you know, like we just had to find someone that could pass the test. Now they got to find someone that can be a nuclear engineer, some Navy SEALs. Or, yeah. you know, there's a lot of advanced stuff. How do you feel the, in your experience from when you came up in recruiting in the Navy to college admissions, which is recruiting, was it similar or was your reason to leave because it wasn't the same? Like it wasn't as important, I guess that would be the question I would ask, like the level that they put onto it. Um, I think it was because it was similar that, and there wasn't necessarily a number I had to reach or a quota, but there was a direct correlation 
in the way that my supervisor talked to me is that, hey, uh, these kids that are coming to school, I shouldn't say kids, these people that are coming to school, their tuition, their admission pays for this building, pays for your salary, pays for, you know, so the number of people that you get in here is going to basically dictate whether or not you got a job tomorrow. Sure. Um, so, so it what, was a little bit, it was a smaller school that you went to then? Like a yeah. Smaller... Yeah. Just as a single standalone technical school that taught uh, how to CNC was one, but it was mostly a, a racing school, how to, how to build high power, high horsepower race engines. Okay. So you were looking for like the, the diamond in the rough people that want to do that. And, and yeah, so it's different, right? Because, you know, my son's going to college next year. I don't think the recruiter at the school he wants to go to has to work very hard. Like every kid in Texas wants to go to A&M, right? Like, yeah. you know, it's not a, uh, it's, it's different. So like you had to, like, you really had to go out and search for people then. Like you, like for real recruiting, putting out ads and trying to drum up interest. And yeah. Yeah. And well? The, um, well, in the two months I was there, I think I made quite a bit of progress that other people didn't think of. Cause I was able to take some of the techniques that I learned in recruiting and military recruiting and bring it into the civilian sector and, and present it to, you know, my supervisor, but Hey, what, what about this? What about, you know, going to a military base? And I was able to do that because of being retired, I still had access to the military bases. So I, I opened up kind of a new Avenue for them and got that relationship going for them. Um, but then it was just, yeah, there were so many of those things that you, you still have lead cards. People are saying, yeah, I'm interested. And you call them and then eh, I changed my mind or no, I'm not. In, don't call. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't ask for anything. And then it was just like, come on, come on, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that happens everywhere. Like in oh, yeah. what we do now, like we teach, we teach classes for veterans to use their, their VA benefits to purchase a home. And I will tell you this best leads coming in that I've ever had. Everybody that we call, we're like, Hey, you signed up for our class. They're like, yes, I did. I can't wait. And you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, what questions do you have? But see, they're all veterans. They're all trying to use their benefits. So I think like a, a, a key for a lot of people in that sector now, because when I went and did recruiting as well, like manufacturing and logistics recruiting, you go out, and you talk to all these people in warehouses and you talk to these people in just different jobs, production lines, things like that. You're walking in to ask them, like, do you need workers? They're like, yeah, we got them right there. Yeah, we're working with this company. So now you're trying to say why your company's better than theirs, the staff people. And the approach is similar to recruiting, right? Army, Navy, all of us looking to find people that want to join the service. We're all looking for the same people. Mm-hmm. So now you got to differentiate yourself. So how do you do that? And that was the part that I think for me, um, I worked with great people. They were nice people, but the viewpoint that I had on how to do it and how to relate to people, I was always different in that and maybe recruiting too. I didn't ever use the high pressure, like, oh my God, I got to get it done. I was more like, let me show you how it's going to work for you. Build a relationship versus talk you into it, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, and again, it was all about, we got to get it now, 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 now. And I was like, man, you know what? I've already done this. I've already had to build something like that. I just, I can't do it. And, you know, that job took away from what I ultimately started doing. And so it was like, you had to make a choice, right? Bet on yourself or keep getting this paycheck and working for someone. I was like, I don't want to work for someone anymore. I've done it already. Like, I want to go, I want to succeed or fail because of me, right? I only want to look at myself in the mirror. I don't want to have to rely on someone else telling me, oh, well, you know, next time you can get it. You know, it was like promotion in the Navy. Like, yeah. oh, I know that I have a good record, but, you know, a lot of times there's guys that have better records. So I just got to wait. I was like, no, man, I just want to want to succeed on my own. So the recruiting part is it's really it's interesting to see how the approach is same but different. But at the same time, going back to looking for a job what they want in someone that can recruit the biggest hurdle that I felt when I was doing it is uh, I don't know how to use a CRM. That's what, that was my thing. You've never used Salesforce. Uh, I don't know. You've never used LinkedIn recruiting. I don't know if you can do it. Like, what do you, like, it's a computer system. The name comes in. I see the phone number. I call them and then I talk to them. The name of the game here is not, can I call people out of your database? The name of the game is, can I relate to them to get them to do what the company is looking for? You know what I mean? Yeah. But they were always stuck on full cycle recruiting, using a data. Like, so I need to know really good how to set a reminder in a database. Okay. I mean, I guess that guy's better than me, but he can't even talk to you straight in the face for five (laughs) minutes without getting nervous, you know, like, I don't know, it was weird. But it's interesting to hear that they were like, pushing like, people you bring pay for this building, they pay for this thing, they pay for your salary. It's like, they're holding it over your head, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not a way that I'm gonna work. So the recruiting part, couple months, and then what was after that? Uh, And then, so after that, I found a company called uh, element materials and they do material testing on uh, their worldwide have labs all over the place but this one here in houston did a lot of metal testing and the metal was a lot of oil and gas so drill bits drill pipe uh just fluid transfer pipe um airplane stuff did a lot of stuff for airbus so we would get this metal and it would go through the machine shop and they would machine it down into these tiny little blanks and it looked almost like a like a barbell almost but just small you know just about this big and you put it into a hydraulic press and the hydraulic press was set up in a way that it would apply the pressure in a pulling force so it would put it in there and it went through a program and pulled it pulled it pulled it until it, it broke so it was destructive testing uh and then i wrote down those numbers uh, and that was it. And so I did, you know, I could get through depending on if the machine was running smooth that day, you could do 40 to 50 tests in an eight hour shift and did that for about a year. And it just got monotonous. You know, it's, it was the same, put it in, push the button, write yeah, it down, yeah, yeah. put That's it in, push the button, write it down. And, then, and that was it. My head. Yep. It broke. It's supposed to break. <laughs> yeah. I broke 40 today, boss. We're good. Man, and so think about it this way. Before the Navy, 
right? Before we joined the Navy, as a young kid, whatever you were looking to do, whether, you know, whatever it was, I was going to go to college, I was going to go do this, I was going to do that. If you would have started a job like that, straight out of high school, do you think that that would have been the greatest job you've ever done? Do you think that your your outlook would be different? I think about this sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I look back and I see a lot of people where I joined the Navy from and, you know, you can see they're still there, right? Like yeah. I still know people, they're now like store general managers of fast food chains or they're uh, still working in the factory. You know, like they're still doing the jobs we did before I left. And uh, it's still the same job every day. And mm -hmm. I was like, oh my gosh. I guess the part that I liked about recruiting is even though it sucked for the most part in the beginning, I think that it was different every day because every person was different. Every situation was different. How you get out of that was different. You really had to think, right? You had to, you had to be creative. And I think that's a lot of what, uh, I don't know, what do you think? Like sitting in front of a machine and pushing the button, you're doing the same deal, you know, like it's, uh, it's not, it's not creative. It's not fun. No. Yeah. No, it's not. And it was kind of a, it's kind of a weird story how I got out of working there. I don't want to say got out of, but it, we had, uh, we had a guy who I became friends with working in the lab and knew him for about a year. And he's like, I just, I don't like it here anymore. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. And this is right in the middle of COVID. So they're already limiting our hours and they're already doing downsides. So he voluntarily quits and gives us two weeks, you know, does it all like he should. Uh, and a couple of months later, we found out that he, uh, attempted to take his life. Um, so we, went and visited him in the hospital and he was, he was in bad shape. He was in a coma. He was just laying there. Um, a couple of guys at work went with me and we all visited and, and shortly after that, he, he passed away hmm. and they were continuing to do the downsizing. And I was the only, I was the only guy in the lab on, on our shift that was married and my wife worked. Everybody else was either single or they were the sole provider for their family. And I knew that there was going to be more downsizing coming because I was, I was pretty close with my boss and just talking to him about everything. And, and so I, I volunteered basically. I said, if there's another set of cuts, me, my family and I can handle losing my income better than everybody else. And this was just an assumption I made. I didn't know, you know, if, you know, there was another guy named Dave there. So I didn't know if Dave, if he lost his job, what he was going to do. No clue. And maybe he had another thing lined up. Maybe he had a, yeah. a side hustle going. I don't know, but I don't know that I was ready to take that chance because in my mind, the guy who worked there and then took his life, you know, it was, you know, is it that bad that you couldn't find a job? You couldn't pay your bills that you just had to, 
had to do that. So that in my mind was why I was volunteering because I didn't want to see that happen again. So that's the, uh, that's the, it's the training, right? Or not the training, but it's the, I don't like calling it training. It's the, it's the life we chose to live, right? Like you chose to be in a position for a long time where forced or not, you had to care about the people under you, right? Yeah. So you yeah. just describing to me, sole provider, they were the only like single or whatever, like you're just describing to me, getting to know your people or you're getting to know the people you work with. You're understanding who they are. You're relating to them. It's everything that we did as chiefs in the Navy to know like, ah, oh, that guy doesn't look right today. I need to talk to him and see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, uh, it's just natural to do that. Right. Understanding what's going on. And yeah, like what you did is 100% a chief move, if you could ever call it a chief move, right? I will, I'll fall on the sword because I don't want to know that Joe, who's got three kids at home with his wife, loses his job and now they've got nothing, right? It's an admirable thing, man. Like that's, uh, and I, I'm pretty confident to say there's not a lot of people in the world that would do that today. There's just not. It's too much about me nowadays. Yeah. It's too much about what I need to do. It's too much about... If I don't have, then what's going to happen, you know? There's not a lot of people that would do what you did. And I'm sure there was a ton of guys that hated to see you go, but were very appreciative of what you did. I would hope anyway. I would hope. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I'm still in touch with everybody else who works there and chat back and forth. And my uh, my boss actually called me the other day. He's like, hey, we're we're hiring again if you, if you want to come back. <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> yeah so that's that's cool man why well, uh, that's that's admirable that you would do that because again not many people would just because everybody's all worried about what they're going to get you know so yeah. how did your wife did you you and your wife had talked about that before you did it or did you do the typical navy chief thing and just come home and be like hey i'm just about to tell you i did something today. <laughs> <laughs> no we 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 did talk about it she doesn't necessarily agree with my move um but I, it just was something I had to do, I think. Yeah, for sure. But that led you into what you're doing now, right? It did. Yeah. So I, uh, my wife and I moved to this current house about two years ago and I got to talking with the home inspector who was doing the house. His name is, is Don. And I was like, Hey, how, how'd you get into home inspection and do you like it? And you know, I, I think I started the conversation just like, I do with anybody is just to get to know them, I think. Yeah. And so he started talking about, he's like, I'm actually a retired shop teacher and this is kind of my retirement job. So I think that statement right there really resonated with me that this is my retirement job. And, you know, I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm, semi-retired, you know, I'm retired from oh, the no, military. We're, I, we're retired. I got a, I got a, a pension coming. So maybe this could be my semi, you know, my retirement job, but it took me, it took me a good two years for it to really kind of click. And the, I don't want to, I don't want to say an opportunity, but the, you know, being furloughed from that testing position that, that same day, my, you know, my boss came to me and said, Hey, it's, today's the day. Cause we had, we were already talking about it and, and he was like, 
today's the day. I was like, okay. I, I left from there, Googled the address of the school I wanted to go to, drove there and signed up that day. Nice. Um, and that's, that's how I got into home inspections. So, yeah. So what about, so let's, so your, your company anchored inspections, right? Houston area. So you do all the inspections for people that are purchasing homes. So if they purchase a home, they need to do an inspection, kind of walk people through what that means. And uh, what I'm really would like for you to just portray to everyone really is why is it so important, one, to do the inspection, but two, make sure that like you really read the report that the inspector gives, right? Because there's a ton of people especially in today's market. I don't know if you've seen this, but in today's market, people are like, I I'm not doing the inspection. And you ask them like, well, why are you for real? Like this house was built in 85 or this house was built in 98. Like you don't want to do an inspection in every one of them. Well, I'm not doing it because if I do an inspection, then that means I'm not going to get the deal. Like there's this huge fire sale mentality. Yeah. Which is kind of slowing down now. It's slowing down. It's kind of even and out to get back to where it kind of used to be, but it's still there. Not doing inspections because they just want to win the deal. And then you get into the house and you're like, well, this stuff's wrong and this stuff is wrong. And oh, I, that, that person, you know, like the seller lied to me. They knew <laughs> that this, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's, yeah. so what is the, so just like you go into it, what's the purpose and why, 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 even though you're trying to get the best deal, why is it still important to do it? Uh, well, I think just to answer that, why is it important to do it is so that you have the confidence of knowing what it is that you're buying, what you're walking into just because you get a home inspection and Hey, this is, this isn't working properly, or this was installed wrong, or, you know, you get all of these, uh, defects or defective things doesn't mean that it's still a good purchase. So, um, I will use my mom as an example. She is moving. She has a house under contract. She went and walked through it with her realtor and she is not getting an inspection. And I said, mom, why, hey, mom. why? Hello. And as she, as she said, you know, well, just because that's, you know, like you just said, Matt, that's the nature of the deals. Now everybody's doing this, you know, really short option period just to make their deal look a little more enticing to the seller. But you wouldn't go and buy a used car without taking it for a test drive. And, or at least, you know, sitting in it and feeling it and, and making sure that it, it meets your needs. Yeah. So why would you do that for a house, which is the biggest purchase you're ever going to do, you know, in your life, maybe, maybe once, maybe multiple times. But either way, they're always big purchases. I, I would tell people as a realtor, um, you have 300,000 reasons for me to do my job properly and give you the best advice that I can for you to make your decision with. 300,000 reasons. Like that's how much money you're spending on this house, right? Yeah. And I think that, well, so let me tell you this. 
Do you think that some realtors are driving their buyers to do stuff like that to make the deal more enticing? Or do you think that the consumer themselves nowadays really truly feel that's the only way to go? Uh, you know, I'm not sure on that one. Um, I'm sure there are realtors out there that are saying, you know, in order to be a uh, competitive offer, we should offer this or reduce this or not have an inspection. Um, and then I guess it really depends on that, that client, that, that buyer on how they take that info and process it and, and use it. Cause that's, yeah, you know how people are. They, uh, they'll ask you for advice, right? Coming from someone, I've been a realtor for a couple of years. People will ask you for advice, consumers, um, but here's the reality. We, we both have kids too. If your kids are like, hey dad, should I do this or that? And you're like, well, I don't think it's a good idea, but it's up to you. All your kid heard was, no. and then they're not gonna do it. Yeah. Even if you don't think it's a good idea, not for a bad reason. Like the thing is nobody ever asks, well, can you tell me more? Or like, remember these, can you tell me more about that? Yeah. Tell me what you mean. Why do you say that? They don't do that. So me, I've told people, they ask, you're like, listen, here's the deal. You can do, and you lay the list out. This is what can make your offer competitive. I think what people need to understand is in real estate deals today, if you're doing a conventional loan, you don't want to have a PMI on your mortgage. You have to put 20% down. Well, you already know you're putting 20% down. Here's the deal. You really love this house enough not to do an inspection. Well, here's how you do it. Instead of only giving 1% earnest money, give 5%. You're already putting 20% down at the table at the end. So here's your 5% for earnest money. Give them 1500 bucks on an option fee and still pay for the home inspection. Because if you're willing to buy this house without an inspection, then you're willing to throw away 1500 bucks on an option if you decide to back out. You know what I mean? Yep. Or you just increase that earnest money so large that once you get under contract and you've agreed on everything, you have more skin in the game. Cause that's what I hear from a lot of people nowadays, skin in the game, skin in the game is risk to both sides. Mm -hmm. Well, you're taking none of the seller's risk if you don't do an inspection, right? I mean, it just doesn't make sense. That's why I asked you, cause you're, you're, you're getting hired to do the home inspections. Um, I talked to a few people. I just, you know, I'm sure that there's people out there. And I think, tell me what you think of this. How many offers did your mom put on houses before she got the house she has now? Uh, very few, actually. She was, she only did, I think, two other homes. Went and looked at, put an offer on one, and, and didn't okay. get it. So. so she was, in a sense, in today's market, on the lucky end. She got one fairly quickly. Yeah. I think why people, and, and I really, I truly think the consumers are making the decision versus the realtor. I think a lot of realtors are encouraging people to do the home inspection, but I think there's so many consumers that they put in eight offers. It's not got accepted. They start asking the realtor questions and the realtor goes through the scenarios, right? You could do all these things. And I think they pick out the things and it's always the things that you shouldn't pick out to do to make it competitive. And that's why, like they just don't want to lose again. And a lot of these people are coming up on the end of an apartment lease or their houses that they live in, they're selling. They want to get into another one. It's just, uh, it's crazy.
So your mom is, is like, she thinks it's all good and perfect. Have you seen the house? Uh, I have not seen the house. She lives in Wisconsin, so it's, oh, oh, it's up oh, there a ways, but, okay. and, it, and I asked her, I asked her, I was like, okay, so you went in there, it's the middle of summer. Does a heater work? Well, I don't know. Yeah. You know, don't it does. Want to find out in January. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to find out in January. Um, so it's, it's things like that, that, that I would say probably the average buyer, home buyer, when you're in that house, you're there with, I don't want to say horse blinders because it's not horse blinders. You're there with like fisheye lens and you're just looking at everything and it's, oh, it's a new house and it's new and shiny. And, and, you know, it could have been built in 1985 or whatever, but it's still, it's new to you. So you're looking at it with that mentality. It's, yeah, it's new, it's shiny. It's something different. I could put my couch here. Yeah. Do this here. Like, you know, you're not looking in the corners to see if there's settlement. Like they're not looking at that. You're right. It's just, I've got 15 minutes to decide to spend 300 grand you know, and yep. then I'm, I'm out like 15 minutes on most of them. And most people aren't doing overlapping showings right now. So you have 15 minutes. And if you're five minutes late to the appointment, now you've got 10 because there's other people in line waiting to get in after, you know what I mean? Like you yeah. have, it's, you might as well make the decision from pictures then, you know? Yeah. So they, uh, so then what's the, so walk through the process. Like, what do you, uh, like, what do you do? How do you do it? Like, what's the, what's, what's the most important things that could come out of an inspection that, um, won't kill, like, here's the thing. The inspection is not always going to kill the deal, right? Right. It's just not. So don't be afraid of that. But what are the things that, you know, you just, I think, do you think inspections are more, you just need to be aware that these things could happen right? Like you need to be aware, right? Like the, the AC needs to be served. It's yep. not cooling properly. Yep. It's cold in here right now, but a week after you move in, if you go out, you know what I mean? Like it's. Yeah. And it's, it's, I would say, you know, if you could equate it as to the kind of a, a heads up report, Hey, just, just a heads up. This might be an issue down the road. Um, and an inspector is going to look at every major system in the house they, they will look from the foundation all the way up to the peak of the roof and everything in between outside inside up in the attic underneath the house if it has a crawl space any attached things like a porch or a deck you know all of that stuff is going to get looked at and evaluated for um, structural stability safety is it working as the manufacturer intended it to be so all of that stuff gets looked at, tested, touched. Um, the things the inspector will does not do is anything that is invasive or destructive. So if I see, if I'm on the exterior of a house, let's say a stucco siding, it's kind of popular here in Texas. And if I see that, <laughs> yeah, uh, if I see something that looks like water staining, I. I am not allowed as an inspector licensed in the state of Texas to do any destructive testing to see if there's actual water behind the stucco. You know, I would make a recommendation, 
hey, this looks like an issue. I recommend getting, you know, an expert out here to take a look at. And they'll come out and actually do little pinhole drills, um, little cameras behind there and see what's what's in there. If there's water, or moisture, mold, you know, any of that kind of stuff that so it's, it's, I like, you know, like I said before, just a heads up report. Hey, this is an issue. And if I actually did a house not too long ago, I try my best not to be the, the bearer of bad news, I guess. I don't, I don't even know how to sure. say that. I try to just say, Hey, this is what the house is telling me. Take a picture. This is what it is. You try not to kill the deal. That's try not deal. to kill the deal. Exactly. But this, I had... The house was so bad and I put myself in their shoes. If, if I was going to buy this house, what would I do with it? And my answer was bulldoze it. <laughs> it was, it was that bad. Every major system wow. in the house had deficiencies. Um, the foundation was sinking. And so they were looking at buying it as an investment and I gave them the report. They read the report. I gave them a couple days to digest it. And then I called them back and I said, I don't normally do this but I have to tell you about the house and my personal feelings for it. And I told them about it and they were like, yeah, that's kind of what we were thinking. And we really appreciate you calling us. And they didn't go through with the deal. Um, just because and, the, the house was that the day, bad. Which, which is fine. Right. Which is fine. If you don't want that house, it's okay. Like yeah. I just don't understand why, you know, if, if we don't get this one, we'll never get one. There's plenty of houses. They're out there. Yeah. Bidding war is not going to last forever. I know that you're on a time crunch. I know that you want to get it done now, but do you really, like you said, are you really willing to test drive this thing without sitting in it? You're just going to look at it. I saw it in a commercial, look cool driving on the road. So I just want one. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess if I'm the guy, I'll sell it to you. But don't come to me after and say that you're, you're mad or angry. You know, there's tons of that. Like you come through and, I don't know, like just so many times you, you help people sell houses and, and there's, there's, there's two sides of the coin to that, right? So you just said earlier, like, let's say, like you said, stucco, looks like it's got a water stain and it could just simply be just, maybe there was some tree roots or branches or something in the gutter. And when it dripped down, that's just staining from like the, I don't know, you call it the dye from the wood, right? Just like yeah. a stain, right? Yeah. doesn't mean there's something wrong. Help people understand just because you say, I see water staining on the site. I recommend a licensed professional come out to check the issue to make sure there's no other problems. If I'm not incorrect, you are truly saying, I see a stain. If you want to get that checked out, it has to be by a licensed professional. I'm not telling you the siding's falling off the house, right? Because I can't do that. I can just tell you this is what I observe, but in order to make sure that you're good, then I just recommend you talk to someone that knows what they're doing if you want to, not you have to. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like a lot of people take that inspection report and they'll go back to realtor and be like, I want all this fixed. I'm like, you want all of what fixed? everything that's wrong. Well, what's really wrong? Like all this stuff that's written down. I'm like, okay, well, it just says that 
it appears. I, I see this. Like the recommendation is just that. It's a recommendation. He didn't say, <laughs> this house is going to fall over in three months. I don't think you should buy it. You know what I'm saying? Does, does that make sense? Like, yeah. am I going in the right direction? Like, it doesn't mean there's a huge problem. A recommendation from you is just truly a recommendation, right? Like, yeah. if you need to get it looked at, like, is there is there anything or any time on there? And, and I, I'm not familiar. So as, an, as a licensed inspector, like you're licensed through the state of Texas, to go out and do the inspection. So if you do see an issue or a problem that could be a problem, even if it's not a big deal, like buy your license and you know, you, you've taken the oath as an inspector that you're gonna be honest and fair to whoever purchases your services. Like you have to write it on there, right? If it appears that it could be a problem, you need to write it on there. Yeah. Because if you don't, and it is a problem, now you're putting your license at risk, right? Like. Right. Now that's your business that can go under just because the water spigot leaked a little bit and you didn't write it down that it's got a leak. You want it checked. A plumber needs to come look at it, right? Yep. I can't look in the pipe. But if it turns out that there's this huge problem inside the wall and you didn't write down that the faucet was leaking, like anybody could trace it back to that, right? Exactly. So like... I, I guess my thing is like, is there anything on there that you, you have to write? Like you have to get this check because you guys don't ever say you have to, right? It always is a recommendation. It is. Yes, it is always a recommendation. Um, and no, we don't probably, I would, I hate using the word never, but I would probably never say you have to do this. Yeah. You know, it's, here's the problem I would recommend having xyz come out and check it plumber ac yeah. guy structural even engineer if the whatever ac doesn't turn on right even if, like this is what's crazy like the unit's been gutted there's no guts to the ac right so obviously somebody stole everything ac shot it has to be replaced you still have to write well, the AC is not working as it's intended. So I recommend that you have an AC guy come out. Like that's what I'm right. Like that's what it would be. Yeah. And, and hopefully, you know, I'd be able to see, you know, I'm, I'm out taking pictures and looking at stuff. So if it, it was, if I'm looking outside at the exterior compressor and it was totally just smashed apart for the copper, I'm going to take a picture of that. And I, I probably won't write that somebody stole it, but I will put, outside unit is damaged <laughs> and no longer so, works. So that, that's kind of what I'm getting at though. Like, I think people need to understand and, and this is why it's good to talk to you because a lot of people, there's companies out there that people like as, as a realtor, right? If I need to do a home inspection, I have to recommend three people, right? I have to do it. Got to recommend three because I can't just, monopolize the market with one person and force a customer into using who I want them to use because that's who I want you to use because then that can be inferred as I'm getting special treatment or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yep. But there are people that realtors have that they will always tell, like I always tell people, uh, now that I know that you're in the business and I know who you are and I know how you do things, I always say, at least you need to give David a call because, you know, and I tell him he's veteran owned. He knows how to 
give you the right service. He's going to be blatantly honest with you, even if you don't want to hear it because he has been trained and knows that bad news doesn't get better with time. And it's okay, rip the Band-Aid off. Like I'd rather you know now than after when you've closed, right? So you recommend the three people, but there's always those companies that like are <laughs> like, oh my God, ABC company's coming out here. Oh, we're screwed. That Those inspectors are horrible, right? Yeah. Because they always put it personally on the inspector. Like the inspector's just personally an a-hole. And he's going to try to do everything he can to kill. Like, I've heard this when I've told agents who my inspection company is coming out. Like, oh, they're a-holes and they're just going to kill the deal. I'm like, what are you talking about? So I always ask the realtor, well, what's wrong with the house then? Right? If you're worried about the inspection, just tell me right now what's wrong. And maybe we can negotiate what needs to be fixed before the inspector even comes out. We're still going to get it inspected, but your fear is through something. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, you're not ever personally saying, right. You, you don't ever do an inspection and go, if this was my house, I just don't know if I would accept the fact that, you know, that wall outlet looks crooked the way it was built, right? Like the construction of this thing is bad, right? Like in your construction expert opinion, right? Like you're only looking at the facts. You're picking out what blatantly obvious is wrong. And you have equipment to test things too, right? If it's yeah. not within the parameters that the manufacturer, that's the key word, right? Manufacturer says it should intend to, then you write it down. That's exactly and it. You're not even making a personal decision. You're just, you're, you're stating facts, right? Yeah. Have you ever had a, have you ever had realtors call you after you've done an inspection and like just pissed because you <laughs> said their house had issues on it that obviously it does and they just can't see past the commission table to understand that there is issues with the house? No, I, I have not yet, fortunately. Uh, and I'm sure someday that'll happen. Oh. But um, most, most of the, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the clients that I've had are, are, appreciative of how I write the report. That is just like you were saying, here's the issue. This is what's causing it, or this is what needs to be done to fix it or remedy the issue. Moving on to the next topic. I, I try to not put my personal uh, opinions or feelings into it other than the one house I was telling you about, just because I couldn't stand sure. to see them make a, you know, $300,000 Mistake. mistake yeah absolutely but, yeah but you know but not I mean, all houses are like that off though if it's a one-off this one house that you know you're, you're gonna do millions of these things and there's gonna come points in time where like let's go here it was you said this was people doing it as an investment right so if it was their first investment you kind of want to try to get that one right you don't want to have the 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 HGTV experience where you open up shit and you start to see things are breaking. Like you don't yeah. need that experience, right? No. It doesn't have to happen. Or first time buyers, first time buyers, you really gotta, they're so eager to get in the house. You gotta explain to them, like you need to read this thing. So I've seen many different inspectors write reports in many different ways. And there's a few that do it well. And then there are some that in the way they write it, they do make, the buyer feel like the world's falling just in the way they wrote it 
they don't mean it's bad, but the way they wrote it, you're like, oh, this house is jacked, right? Yeah. So my favorite. So I'm going to ask you a couple of things that I see on inspections all the time because I want you to educate me and everybody else on these few items. I see them all the time. And I just want to know, is it really that big an issue or not? Because I see it on almost every inspection. The first one is there is no, what do they call that? Uh, goo stuff around the wires, whatever that is. What is that? Uh, in, the, in the electrical service panel. Yeah. There's no whatever around the wires and like every inspection said, there's none of that in there, like cellophane or whatever it is, like the, just the, the caulking or the, the sealant. Yeah. It goes around the wire that's right yep. in there. Like there's nothing there, like yep. it's supposed to be on the wire. Every single inspection I see that. So is that like a new build requirement that you'll see that when they build it new and it's supposed to be installed that way? Or is it truly something that homeowners should be making sure is put on there on a consistent basis as part of home maintenance? There's a difference. It is, I don't want to say it's a new build. It's, it has always been that way. So the requirement is that if wires are exiting the service panel, they need to be sealed up. And when that, that service, those big, heavy, thick service entrance wires come into the house and they go into that panel, the, 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 the caulking, the ceiling, the foam, whatever, you know, that construction company is supposed to put in there doesn't get in there. It doesn't mean that, you know, your electrical service panel is going to start on fire or sparks are going to be shooting out of there or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It just means, Hey, this, there's a hole here and it's a penetration through the wall of your house and it should be sealed up. And, that, and that's what I'm kind of getting is like, I tell all my favorite though, is clients you work with that they own the house and they're selling, right? And they're immediately going to buy, right? They get the inspection. The inspection report for the house they're buying says it doesn't have that. And they're losing their stuff, right? They're like, oh my God. Two weeks later, the inspection report for their house comes in. Same problem. They're like, I don't know why it's a big deal. Like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> Two weeks ago, you were about to say that your house was, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. a, so here's what I found. Tell me if this, well, so let's, let's ask a couple more on the inspection that I see all the time. That's great. And, 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 and some of them, I think I know the answer to, but it's good to hear it from an inspector's point of view and why it's written there so that people understand. Right. So the second one is corner pops on the foundation. There's corner pops. And I recommend that you have a foundation spec or somebody come out and take a look, right? Corner pops. Because the corner has popped, meaning you were weed eating or uh, they pulled the forms off and it popped when they pulled the form, right? Because concrete, then it's going to come off. You're just saying that it's there, right? So that's something that because there's because it's not perfectly cornered and because it doesn't look like it was brand new, you have to write it in there. Right. But it doesn't, I guess my whole point to this is having you explain to people that doesn't mean that your foundation's cracked straight down the middle. Right. Exactly. A corner pop. Um, and I will say that depending on the size of the corner pop, mostly 
is cosmetic. So a lot of the homes in Texas have an exterior brick veneer. And basically that means that if you imagine your house being built, you have your framing. Uh, and then on the outside of that, it is wrapped with brick and the brick isn't necessarily touching the framing of the house. It has anchor points and stuff to keep it, you know, attached and not falling over. So this brick in the summer, um, when the Texas sun is beating on it and it's getting hot and it expands and as it expands, it needs to go somewhere, but it's sitting on that foundation. So the foundation is not going to expand as much as the brick. So that's where the corner pop happens. The brick starts expanding, the corner gets loose and there's your, there's your corner pop that crack. So the, the comment that you're going to get a lot from inspectors is you no know, corner pop recommend you get it looked at. And I think that comes because a lot of inspectors don't want to take that chance of it being a bigger issue. Cause it's like you were saying, this is, this is my business. So if it is a bigger issue, I'm on the line. So I would rather you went and had an expert in foundations come and look at it to make sure that it is not a bigger issue than what it looks like. Right. So that's exactly what, 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 what I try to explain to them. Cause what I explain to people when they're looking at their inspection, I tell them before you even open it, when the inspector sends it, there's a few items that are always in there. the corner pops are very, very common the deterioration of the post-tension cable on the outside because you pull the frame off and obviously the wire is exposed. Not every builder puts mortar around those to seal those cable holes. Like it's water's going to get there. It's going to rust. But that doesn't mean that the entire cable all the way through is rusted, right? So you may see that it's deteriorated. You're going to see a couple of items in here where it says you need to talk to a foundation person. Your inspector is not saying they have a foundation problem because number one, they can't they're not a structured engineer they're that that's not they, they just you're paying an inspector to go white glove your home and tell you how dirty your kids room is that's what you're doing they're there to be your eyes because here's the deal inspector's not buying the home so they don't even care like like how good or bad the report is what you want is an inspector that's objective that's going to give you everything and so another one that i see all the time for me um, when I'm going through the reports is you see a lot of, uh, what was the one that I had the other day? Uh, a lot of times you see, uh, when they pull the furnace open, right? The color of the flames means there's carbon monoxide going in the house. Yeah. But I see it on a lot of inspections. Just it's what it is. And here's the, and, and help me maybe understand it. I see it more in the summer than I do in the winter. Is that because the furnace isn't really running a lot during the summertime? So you've got to take a look at it. Does it run hotter in the summer? Like, is there something that, you know, cause I would imagine it being hotter outside, the flame is going to run hotter, which is going to give it a different color. I just don't know. That's why I, I want to, I want to educate myself because then I can go back and talk to people about it. But then from your perspective, right? Is there a difference there? Because I don't see it very much in the wintertime. I don't get a lot of like, this thing's burning super hot. Like they're like, it's working as it needs to, because now it's, you know what I mean? Yeah. So 
the, the color of the flame does indicate that it is not having a complete combustion of whatever type of fuel. Um, so you want that nice, bright blue flame and with a complete combustion. So if you get that little bit of yellow uh, or red or orange, you know, that means incomplete combustion. There's um, carbon dioxide coming out, going, hopefully just exiting the house right out your exhaust. Uh, but as far as summertime and wintertime, I have noticed that as well. And my theory on that, and I'm not a HVAC guy. Neither, neither am I. My, if my theory on that is think about the first time you kick your furnace on in the winter when it's cold. You kick it on and it stinks and you're like, oh, what? that's all, you know, all of that dust and everything that has been cycling through your furnace, but not getting burned off is now all being burned off all in that, in that instance, that first time you kick it on. So when a home inspector comes in the summer, he's going to test your furnace. He kicks it on, goes up there, looks at the flame, maybe doesn't wait long enough for all of that dust and everything to get burned off. And that is what is causing that yellow flame. Not your ace, not the heater itself. It's just right. dirty and it kind of needs to, to clean itself. That's kind of what I was figuring is like the furnace isn't running, right? It's not going to turn on until you turn the heater on. And in the state of Texas, because that's where we're at, if you're using the heater from like May to September, even into October, hell's freezing over. Um, <laughs> yep. It's hot in Texas. So this thing, like, and, and that's kind of what I was hoping I would hear you say is like, it hasn't run in so long that once it kicks on and starts, people got to understand that those things have to work harder every, like if it's been off for a long time, it's got to work hard to get where it needs to be or work the kinks out. Or like you said, get the, you know, blow the dust out of it or whatever it is. And like, honestly, how long are you up there to look at that? You're not going to leave it running for three hours and then go back. And look at yeah. It. You don't have no that time. Yeah. 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 You don't have that time. But Plus you're in a just, house. It's just an example of, I'm just telling you what I see. And again, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong. You know what I mean? Because the, the seller's like, oh, I just had my AC checked and they said it was working well. Okay, great. Send me the paper that you did the service on it and it's working properly and we're good. Then they scream and yell about that. Well, I can't find it. Well, then did you service the AC? Don't tell me you did it, right? Like, it doesn't cost much, man. It's 80 bucks for who I use, the couple people I know. They come out and look at it and you're good. Yeah. It's fine. But people are, and I think that's the deal, like with home inspections, the, the stigma is <laughs> if this guy comes and looks at my house, I'm so nervous and worried. Like I've got a couple of people I'm working with now that, hey, they're coming to do an inspection on your home. Come to an inspection. Yeah. Like you didn't know that we weren't going to do this. They're not, they're not just going to come by your house and say that it's good. But again, here's what people are hearing. Well, there's other people not doing that. Well, good for them. I always default to this with everybody that I work with. Whenever I have a seller, when I work with a seller, I'm not going to say that goes crazy, but they have blowback, just lots of concerns about things like a home inspection or whatever. First question I ask you, well, when you go buy your next house, 
Are you going to forgo your inspection? Absolutely not. Oh, it's okay for you to forgo the inspection, but the dude buying your house just needs to trust you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. come on now. Treat people how you want to be treated. And I see that a lot. And, you know, we have a lot of real estate agents out there that just don't have a ton of experience too. And so they're, they're, they're what they call in the real estate business, winning listings. And they're putting homes on the market and they don't know how to work with sellers. They don't know how to, you know, have that conversation to make sure the seller knows what's going to happen during the process of this person putting your home under contract. You've got the option period. The inspector's coming out here. You need to give them access to the home. They need to be able to walk through it. You don't have to be there. You can if you want. But the other, the other part, if we can help all the real estate agents out there help our home inspectors, and you tell me if I'm wrong, you do not need to be up the inspector's ass when they're looking at your home for the buyer. Stay away. You don't have to explain everything that he starts looking at because here's what you're really going to do, seller. Now you're going to make the inspector dig deeper. Because if you're worried about everything I look at and you're trying to pull me away from it, it's like your kids. Did you clean your room? I did. Well, let's go look at it. Well, you know, dad, no, 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 you just trust me. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Do you yeah. get that a lot? Do a lot of homeowners want to be there nowadays? Um, yeah, I get a mix of the home is, is vacant. So nobody's there or it is occupied and the homeowner's there and either they'll just sit on the couch, watch TV and totally or just go do whatever you got to do. Or they follow you around like a little puppy dog to every room, not necessarily explaining stuff, but to just like keeping an eye on what you're looking at and, and things like that. And some of them just want to know for their own, you know, maybe for the next house they're buying of, Hey, what do I need to look at when I'm buying a house? Yeah. And so now, and I can, I, and I can get the seller that wants to be home because they want to kind of keep an eye on the inspector, right? Because they have stuff there. They don't want it to just walk away. I got it right. All good. I just, man, I tell the sellers I have all the time, like, just do not think that you have to tell them in every room they walk in, asking a hundred questions about what's wrong. You know, like I had a seller the other, like about a week ago, two weeks ago, and it might've been a couple months ago, everything runs in so quick, crazy quick. Uh, their inspector just was not a personable person person, right? They, 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 they like being an inspector because, you know, as an inspector, you go in, you do what you got to do, you leave. And in a lot of cases, they don't necessarily have to talk to the person buying, right? They can just send the report. Right. Very few um, that will say, hey, meet me at the house when we're done. I'll go over it with you, right? And kind of tell you what we're looking at. So I can explain to you these sections that I know you're going to look at and be like, holy shit, right? So the guy just was not like, just wouldn't answer the questions he had. Just and, and in a sense, he felt like the guy was ignoring him, right? Just being rude. Yeah. And so as soon as the report came back, right? And the buyer wanted repairs. Oh, they lost it too. They lost it. Like I knew that guy was bad. It's like, why were you following him around? You set yourself up for failure because you just already knew he was going to be bad. The guy just did, 
He had a job to do. That's what I try to tell a lot of the sellers. They have a job to do. They're paid to be there for two and a half, three hours tops, get into the house, look at everything. They've got to test everything. I'm like, just be ready. The guy's going to walk in the door and he's going to open your dishwasher, push buttons, turn it on, turn the AC on, turn the heater on, start pulling up faucets to run water. And he's going to be doing this in a, a quick fashion because he's got to test everything. It's all got to work properly. He's going to turn your garbage disposal on and off like two or three times. He's going to turn the microwave on. He's going to turn the oven on. He's going to turn the fan on. Your house is going to be a hot box for about 15 minutes. He's got to test everything, you know? And the more you get in their way, the longer it takes. Let's be honest. The longer I have to look at stuff, (laughs) the longer I can nitpick at it too. And I think a lot of sellers don't understand. If you just leave me alone, I'm, it's going to be better for you, right? Because we're human. So if you keep telling me everything I need to know about a room, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to need to look at this room a little bit further just to make sure I've identified anything that could be an issue. Yeah, right? exactly. Cause just because it doesn't catch my eye, right? We've walked in the kitchen and we've walked into the garage. Every other room you cared less you've been on my ass about this garage and kitchen what's wrong with those two rooms you know what i mean and sometimes it could be the seller's opinion of uh they always find problems in the kitchen you know what i mean yeah like if there's going to be a problem they're going to find it in the kitchen so maybe it's a preconceived notion and there's absolutely nothing wrong with the house yeah man like let let you do your job right you're you're a professional like we can actually say that now david yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it says that in my license yeah, for sure, man. So I, are you, how, so obviously business is good for you right now. And I would say that because the market is, is doing very well. So future plans with anchored inspections, what, what's the future look like for you guys? Um, well, I, I think if you're getting to like, do I want to grow the business or expand to multiple inspectors? I don't think so. I'm, I'm happy just kind of being, you know, my own boss and, and just, just being me, myself and I for a while, I think I would like to try and get not necessarily a new market, but a new niche maybe of inspections to be, and I've heard them called like a healthy home or yearly maintenance inspection something like that. So back to that, that car that people buy, you, you buy this car, you go around, you kick the tires. You're like, okay, good. I got it. But that's, you don't just stop there. You go, you bring it for the oil changes. You get new tires, you get new windshield wipers, you do your maintenance. Well, when's, when's the last time you went up in the attic and looked at the drip pan underneath your AC, or you looked at your water heater, there are, yearly maintenance items that need to be done on your house. So if I could, could get into, you know, that market or get people to be like, Hey, you know, it's been a year since I bought this house. Can you come look at it and make sure it's still in the same condition? Make sure that my AC and heater is running the same. Can you make sure that all of the caulking around my windows is still good to go? Don't have any leaks on my roof. Maybe it's a, uh, Maybe it's an added cost you offer to your inspection. Like, Hey, if you pay this, I'll inspect the house. But if you have this extra fee of whatever it is, 
then I come out after you've been in the house for one year and I check everything to make sure it's good. Maybe it's an extra cost that goes into that or something like that. Maybe. Or a, yeah. Yeah. Like a rewards club or something. You could do it. Definitely. And I think, uh, I think getting into a niche like that definitely is beneficial because here's the deal, right? They looked at it for 15 minutes. You looked at it for three hours. You're really not going to start noticing stuff until you live there. Yeah. When you've moved your stuff in and now you're looking at the walls every day. Now you're noticing what's out there. So I think that, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. And just, just like you, so think about the last place you moved into Not even necessarily the house you bought an apartment or a college dorm room, whatever you walk in the first time, you're like, yeah, it's pretty cool. I can live here. And then a week into it, like, Oh, I never noticed that this door doesn't shut all the way. <laughs> right. Every barracks we've ever been in, like, oh, I, I could live here. And then half the time, though, the reason you couldn't live there was the roommate they gave you, but that's another story. <laughs> yeah, you can't really pick those. Yeah, yeah. Just like you can't pick your parents, just like you can't pick, you know, your kids. No. You know, but it's, it's something that you learn to do and... You know, like you can't control certain things. And I think that that inspection extra that you could offer helps them control how they're doing. Because that is the deal, right? Who really does, like how much of an inspection that you do on a home where you put recommendations for things to be fixed, how much of that would be reduced if a homeowner did routine yearly home maintenance? Quite a bit. Right? Like yeah. things like, outlets missing from the wall like how do you not have an outlet cover it obviously broke it is 15 cents and one screw go by yeah. right uh gfcis that was another big one that i see a lot in the laundry room is that a requirement any wet space so every house, I even I even had a new build house. Every new build house that I've I've done as a realtor, there's never been. So what they're wanting to see, this is what inspectors. So there's a difference, and maybe you can help me clear it up. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. So you can have a GFCI GFCI outlet, but it doesn't have to have the tester on it, right? So if it's a GFCI outlet without the tester, what that is is just a regular outlet that has been wired in line with another GFC out outlet somewhere else. Um, think about your kitchen. All of your kitchen outlets on the countertop need to be GFCI, mm -hmm. but there's probably only one, maybe two actual GFCI outlets. Everything else is tied into that. So if, if I plug something in on this outlet and it trips, I gotta go way over there, press the button, yeah. So that's what I mean. So they, that, that, what, what I've seen is again, people are, uh, are saying, okay, there's no GFCI outlet in the laundry room. And now the sellers or the buyers are like, they need to install an outlet there. I'm like, well, is it, is it, so can you tell as an, when you're doing the inspection, is there a way for you to tell if it's on a GFCI line? There is, uh, you get a you just trip one of the outlets and see if that one's still working once you do it. Well, you get a, an outlet tester and on that tester, there's a button to trip the outlet and 
you plug it into any outlet. If that outlet is on a GFCI circuit and you press the button, it will trip it regardless of what outlet you plugged it into. Okay. So then for those deals, like if they simply take the old regular outlet out and install a GFCI outlet standalone, that would, that suffices, right? Because that works. alone will trip, right? That'll work, yeah. So that's what I tell a lot of people. You don't have to rewire that. And then that's what they think. We got to rewire the house. No, you got to buy a $5 outlet, open the panel, pull pull it and then put the new one. And then, man, the thing that, the thing I love to hear the most from real estate agents, we want a licensed professional to come out and do all of that. Now, there are things that you want a licensed professional to do. Service your AC, check your water heater. There's leaky plumbing pipes, you want a plumber. But if you need to change an outlet, you need to caulk some windows, you need to, uh, you know, caulk some window seals, you need to replace some outlet covers. You need to, you know, just homeowners maintenance stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, the fight you have with people like has to be a licensed electrician. Like, do you realize the trip fee for that person is more expensive <laughs> than, the, than the job. all the materials the homeowner is going to buy to fix the problem themselves? But then you ask the agent. Because the agent's always, in this instance, it's always the real estate agent that's demanding. When they say that the customer's demanding a licensed professional, that's like telling me you're worried about my appraisal. The seller doesn't know the appraisal is going to be a problem until the agent starts freaking out about it. Let's be honest, right? Mm -hmm. So you telling me that they demand a licensed professional means that you are. So let me ask you, if it was your seller and they could do homeowner maintenance, like would you be willing to pay hundreds of dollars for a $30 fix. Like absolutely not, but you want me to do that. And I found that just having that conversation has changed it a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's helped us to work through these things because I'm just like, look, you and I both do the same job. We both work with the same people. Like I'm willing to send you a video showing that it's good. Your person can come in here right after the repairs are done and right before closing and verify that it's all completed. It will be done. It will be done right. You know what I mean? Like caulking windows, like seriously, I can tell my son, Hey man, go caulk the windows, put your finger on it. You're good. Like it's not, it's not a, I mean, it depending, but it's not a skilled trade labor job where like if you, if, if you, the beat of cock has a tiny little wrinkle in it and it's not perfect. It's still going to do the job Yeah. and it's outside and you didn't even notice it when you wanted to buy the house. So now you're really concerned with what it looks like. Even, <laughs> you weren't concerned to look at it before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And again, in, in two years, yearly, you should check it. But in, in two years, three years, you probably are going to come out and do it yourself. It's going to have to happen again. That stuff deteriorates because we live in Texas and it gets really hot and it does dry out. And so that's why your windows have fog in them because the caulking around the window is allowing the heat to get through there and it's getting between the cracks. Like there's no way to perfectly fit everything. We're not building a concrete bunker. We're building a house. And so that's the part of all the time where I just look at agents like, my goodness, the inspector does it right. But uh, I think there's a lot of mix of panic and uh, 
panic and I have to win. That's what I see. Yeah. I have yeah. To win. yeah. Yeah. Great. You just won. That's awesome. Well, here's what's going to happen next. I'm going to give you all these repairs. You want $4,500 in repairs? Done. House doesn't appraise. We're screwed on that one. We're not helping. Let's fight for what's important, right? You want to kill the deal? Be adamant about these repairs. And then if the house doesn't come in at appraisal for $4,500, $5,000, guess what? Your person's paying that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what happens every time. Like it's just this win mentality just doesn't help for people to negotiate. You know what I mean? Yep. So what in any do you have anything else that you do other than home inspection? Wife and kids at home, everything's, you know, going on there. But is there anything that you do other than that that people can know about that maybe they can support you in? Um, just anything at all? Um, yeah, other than, than personal hobbies, I got a, a classic Corvette that I'm working on in the garage and like doing, uh, woodworking and, and things like that when I have some free time and volunteer at the church when I can and just, uh, yeah, just living life. Cool, man. Well, you know, about an hour, hour and a half total, we've been talking, including, you know, just catching up in the beginning. Um, I hope that this helps you. I hope that people can reach out to you, David, and, and, and get a home inspection and, and get an honest answer, get uh, the assistance that they expect from a service such as that, you know, being veteran owned and, and having that background of serving your country, especially being a chief petty officer in the Navy. We understand what it means to relate, not just to people above you, but a lot of times to the person below that first time home buyer. Um, maybe, maybe the family, you know, a divorced family and, and whichever party wasn't the breadwinner is now having to go buy a house, even though you're not a first time buyer, there's still fear, right? Because you're doing it on your own. So hopefully people understand now who they can call and get help in the, in the Houston area. Is there anywhere, is, is there a limit to your travel in Houston? Uh, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, like you said before, we're license in the state of Texas. So yeah, <laughs> it's a big place. <laughs> hey, uh, can you come to my house in Amarillo? Are you paying? I mean, if you fly me there, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so um, I will uh, do my best to go ahead and I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have your logo, I have your contact information at the end of this, because we are going to put it on like YouTube and places like that. I am going to flash your logo and your contact information email on uh, the screen, just so people know how to get a hold of you. But if you want to go ahead and give them your website, give them your phone number, if you choose to do so, or uh, like an email address where they can contact you if they have questions about home inspections, things like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the business name is Anchored Real Estate Inspections, and the office number is 832-974-0107. Uh, email address is Anchored Inspections at gmail.com. And my website is anchoredrealestateinspections.com. Great, man. Well, again, David, thanks so much. We're going to, we'll have to do it again. And maybe uh, the next time we meet, we can go, go have a beer. Or, For sure. Uh, get some coffee if, if you'd rather do it in the morning, but whatever, man, I'd like to, to meet up and 
see how things are going and, and see if there's anything else we can do to help you out and just, you know, be on the lookout. We're going to send you stuff as much as we can. Um, and whoever you can help, we appreciate it. And, you know, just thanks, man. I, I appreciate you coming on. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to, 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 you know, catch up with you and, uh, just learn more about what you're doing now and what we can do to help you out. Yeah. I, I, uh, I definitely appreciate you having me and it was, like you say, good to, good to catch up and talk shop for a bit. Yeah. Not under pressure anymore. <laughs> no. We're professionals, David. We're professionals. Mm -hmm.